Good evening, everyone. Welcome back to Political Talk with Tanbir with your host, Tanbir. Today's the fifth installation to my Progressive Summit. I have the honor of being joined by Jess Garain, U.S. Senate candidate in Delaware. Thank you for joining, Jess. How are you doing today? Thank you so much for having me, Tanbir. I'm doing pretty well today. How about yourself? I'm doing fine. Um, New York City's, you know, a hotspot for the coronavirus, mm-hmm. but we're managing. I return to work tomorrow, so let's see how that goes. Um, oh gosh, yeah. <laughs> Take care, please. <laughs> yeah, will do. Thank you. So before we start, I wanted to ask, what is it that you currently do? Yeah, so my day job has been working in digital marketing. I work for an agency as a strategist. So it's my job to be able to talk to our clients and figure out what opportunities they have, what challenges they're facing, and really build a plan that we can all kind of build consensus around and move forward with to take advantage of those opportunities. Um, I am still working. I kind of needed to keep my day job throughout this campaign. I wasn't able to be without income, though I am looking to take a leave of absence in, in the coming week, actually, to focus fully on the campaign in these last couple months. And then outside of my, my work, I've been heavily involved in volunteerism and activism here in the state of Delaware. I had volunteered as a tutor and a mentor for young students, um, particularly tutoring and reading for many years. And then I acted, um, I joined a board of a nonprofit that was dedicated to advocating for the rights of girls and providing programming for girls who come from under-resourced neighborhoods in throughout our state. And I became the board president of that organization for a few years. And honestly, that experience is really what drove me into wanting to run for office from seeing how there are so many girls in our state in particular who are coming from these under-resourced neighborhoods, coming from trauma in their lives, coming from unnecessary struggle and recognizing that we have to really address these things at the root cause if we are ever going to stop needing these other services on top of that. You know, I ever even though we were delivering great programming, we were never going to stop the fact that another girl was going to come through our door if we don't focus on the the reasons that she needs our programming in the first place. Right, that's true. Um you have a great skill set there that the Senate could use um, you know, working towards solutions. Uh, trying to figure out yeah. what works best opportunities, reaching out to them. Um, so mm-hmm. you're the sole primary opponent of the Democratic incumbent, Chris Coons, um, who, as political claimed, was the Republican Party's favorite Democratic senator. Um, if right. you if you win, you'd be the first millennial to the U.S. Senate and the first woman to be a senator in Delaware. Uh, what are the key, What are the key policies and the platform you're running on And why does that make you the best choice for the people of Delaware? Yeah, it's a great question. I start always by just talking about the fact that in the wealthiest country in the world, there's just no excuse to have people struggling the way that we do. And that is what all of the policy and platform points that I'm fighting for kind of originate out of. You know, we're focused on putting people over profits. We're focused on saying we need to legislate in favor of people and everyday people, not just the 1%, not just the wealthiest and the most powerful, not just corporations. So I am running because I want to guarantee every single person in this country universal health care through a Medicare for all system. So no one is going into debt because they happen to get sick. I'm fighting to guarantee equitable free public education. And that includes 
universal childcare all the way through higher education, trade school, or college, because we can absolutely invest in ourselves and guarantee that the ability to pay is not a barrier to the education that anyone wants to receive. I also believe we have to cancel student loan debt, which would be a stimulus for 44 million people in our country who are struggling under the burden of their loan debt currently. I'm fighting for housing as a right because we can absolutely end homelessness in this country. In fact, housing and urban urban development estimates that would take only $20 billion to end homelessness in this country. We need to do that. We need to invest in federally um, backed housing programs to end this affordable housing crisis that exists in big cities throughout our country, but as well as in places like Delaware. It's not something that isn't um, happening in my own backyard. And the last two kind of key pieces are combating climate change through a Green New Deal, including a, a federal jobs guarantee, because Delaware is the lowest lying state in the country. We are already seeing the effects of climate change. We have neighborhoods that flood regularly when it rains. We have roads that get washed out when the tides come in too high. We have farms that are losing farmland to saltwater intrusion. So this is already on our doorsteps, and we know that we don't have the time to take small steps to combat it. And the final piece is, is really the intersection of both economic justice and racial justice. So ensuring that no one in our country is too poor to live, raising the minimum wage to at least $15 an hour, but also tying that to inflation and expanding Social Security so that everyone has a living wage throughout their life. And again, with racial justice, fighting for reparations, desegregating our schools and housing, as well as ending environmental racism, which is incredibly relevant in our state that is incredibly polluted by corporate polluters, both um, you know, refineries and, and chemical plants, as well as chicken processing plants downstate that are poisoning people's land, air, and water. Right. Um, you know, me personally, I'm a student at a city university, John Jay. So mm -hmm. I always, one of my most favorite not in a good sense one of my most favorite um st statistics and numbers is how much we invest our prison population and how much each prisoner costs while we have such a um massive housing debt and student debt so you're absolutely mm -hmm. right there and to kind of contrast you and your opponent um he from policies like immigration to foreign policy and a lot of judicial cabinet appointing um Coons mm -hmm. has sided with the GOP and Trump a good 30% of the time, 538 yeah. from Tracker Projects. So from your perspective, what makes him the wrong choice to represent the people of Delaware? Yeah, I mean, that fact alone, just the one of the things that drove me into this race were the amount of judges and cabinet appointees that Chris Coons worked to confirm to allow Trump to enact his agenda. You know, when we talk about judges, we're talking about judges who are uniquely extreme and uniquely young who are now in lifetime appointments. These are people who are outwardly anti-choice, anti-civil rights, anti-school desegregation, anti the Affordable Care Act, which the senator purports to support. And they, they are judges who are currently kicking ca abortion cases and ACA cases back to the Supreme Court. So I have been incredibly disappointed with his decisions to confirm those judges. Same thing goes for cabinet appointments. You know, he confirmed Kirsten Nielsen, who was responsible for family separation at our border and lied to it, lied to Congress about it. He was responsible and actually lobbied for and campaigned for confirming Alex Azar, yes. who is the Secretary of Health and Human Services, who is completely failing 
in this response to this pandemic because he is a drug company executive. And he is a drug company executive from a company that drastically increased its insulin prices over the last couple decades and is a huge donor to Chris Coons. So when I see the fact that he is working to assist Trump and I see that he is working to legislate in favor of his corporate donors, things like uh, refusing to import drugs from Canada to lower drug prices, things like making it easier for drug companies to defend their weak patents, things like allowing the chicken processing plants in our states to not have to report their emissions. These are all of his donors, and these are the choices that he's making to, to work in their favor rather than putting the working people of Delaware at the forefront of his legislation. Right. Um, so is there any policy, a single policy that you and um, Chris Coons share agreements on? I believe he recently came around to uh, repealing the Hyde Amendment. That's something that I completely agree with. And he's also recently adopted some of my positions. He's uh, started saying that he might consider getting rid of the filibuster. He started talking uh, that he's actually started using the words that housing is a human right in the last week. So I'm, I'm really welcoming him to uh, discovering my positions that I've held for the entire time that I've been running for office. I... I'm not convinced that those are actually his positions. I think he is looking for ways to appeal to my voting base and a more progressive voting base. Right. But it is very interesting to see how suddenly he's he's speaking in the language of progressivism. Right. Is, throughout your life, has there ever been an experience that inspired you to run on one of the policies you're running on? Yeah, absolutely. I think I talk about workplace democracy and union membership and increasing worker co-ops. And, th and that's really for a specific reason. And it's because of the experiences that I have had in the workplace. I have worked since I was 14, 15 years old. And in my first job, I, you know, I worked in retail. I've, I've worked in retail, I've worked in waitressing and all those, those kinds of jobs that, you know, a lot of working people have these service-based jobs. And in my very first job, I was assaulted by my manager. And I did not have any sort of support. I did not have anyone who had my back in that situation. And my options were really to either quit that job and then have to find another one and explain why I left the last one and hope that I didn't. they weren't going to call and get some sort of bad referral about me quitting that job or continue working there because I needed that money. And that was really impactful on my life. And it wasn't the only experience. You know, I've had jobs where I wasn't making a living wage, so I had to piece multiple jobs together. I've had jobs where I didn't get he any health care. I've had jobs where I have been discriminated against and marginalized. And these experiences are all too common. And it's happening to people every single day. And this is why I really believe that we need to ensure that we build up labor power in our country and fight for more worker representation and worker power, um, because we spend a whole lot of time in our workplaces. And if we don't have democracy there, then we are lacking democracy in our lives. I couldn't agree more. Again, um, I work in retail, too. So I, you know, it's a struggle. <laughs> so. I wanted to yeah. bring the attention to, you know, social justice, a uh, hot topic now. Um, 
where do you stand on defunding the police and what even like let's say you do what do you think the next steps should be after defunding them yeah so it's been interesting because a lot of the the changes that people are asking for now are the things that we've been running on so i am all for the changes that people are demanding to shift our budgets in a way that we are actually investing in ourselves and in our communities, not just policing. I really believe that we need to reimagine the concept of public safety. It needs to be something that is rooted in ensuring the health of everyone, the education, the good wages, clean environment. That's what really makes a safe community, not just policing. And we have lacked investment in those things for so long. You know, we've talked about housing. Our housing stock where I live is, you know, obviously it's it's different from one neighborhood or even block to the next, but there are so many houses that are in disrepair, that our landlords are failing to keep up to code, that they are actually doing harm to the people who live in those houses. So why aren't we investing in that? Why aren't we creating community funds to ensure that people have safe housing? Why aren't we ensuring that every kid has academic prospects and economic prospects so that they actually have hope and something to look forward to and, and, and aspire to. There are far too many people who are living without any of that, that hope and living in despair because of the conditions that we force them to live in. And a big part of that is how so many municipalities have chosen to put so much of their money and their staff into policing rather than into investing in their communities. So I am all for decarceration and looking at more restorative justice. I am for abolishing cash bail, which disproportionately harms low-income people and keeps them in jail unnecessarily. I believe that we need to restore the right to vote to incarcerated people. And one particular issue that is yet another point of contrast is that we need to legalize marijuana and expunge the records of people convicted of federal marijuana crimes. Because I recognize that marijuana being illegal is, is a tool in the oppression of low income and black and brown and communities. And you know, my opponent talks about it and he often jokes about how you know his kids are college kids and they want to be able to smoke marijuana. And it's like, that is completely missing the actual effects of keeping marijuana illegal. It is not about college kids who want to just be able to smoke weed. It's about the fact that it is used as a carceral tool against black and brown communities in our, in our entire country. Right. So I wanted, um, I'm glad you brought up the marijuana legalization topic because I wanted to kind of bring the um, topic to Joe Biden. You know, you're running in his home state. You're running against the um someone who's very close to him, someone who actually officially mm -hmm. replaced him in the Senate. Mm -hmm. um, Joe Biden doesn't support Medicare for All or a Green New Deal. And recently, after the Unity Task Force formation, um, it's clear he opposes marijuana legalization and ending qualified immunity. So there's mm -hmm. a lot of progressive policies that I'm sure you and I want our leadership to um work on that Joe Biden isn't. How do you feel about him leading the Democratic ticket in November? I think that for those of us who are fighting for Medicare for All, a Green New Deal, guaranteeing housing, all of these things, that our fight is going to continue no matter who's in power, because we know that 
there are not people who are running for president right now who are committed to fighting for these things. And we know that it's still going to be a fight to build the political mandate and the political will. And it's going to be a fight to get the votes. But that's what we have to stay focused on. And that's kind of what I like to remind my team of and, and our volunteer base is that like we're in this and it's not just about replacing Donald Trump because we know what we need as a country. And yes, Donald Trump is clearly a barrier to that, but our problems didn't start with him. Right. And we need to continue this fight no matter who is leading the country. And I think we have to remember how much the conversation has shifted in just the last five years and that we are even having this national conversation about Medicare for all, Green New Deal, legalizing marijuana, all initiatives and policies, by the way, I would add more than every single one of them, more than 60% of Delawareans support. So we have a senator who's actually standing in the way of the progress that people in our state want. And we need someone who's actually going to fight for the issues that they are already demanding. Right. Um, another presidential election related question. Um, do you have in mind who you want to see as Joe Biden's running mate? I would love to see Barbara Lee, though I know Agreed. she hasn't necessarily yeah. been in the conversation, but I think that would be a fantastic choice. Right. I again, that's she's also my choice, too, um, but mm -hmm. she's not on the top list, sadly. So yeah. I, yeah. I wanted to ask, is there any internal polling data for your race um, that you'd like to share with us? You know, we haven't done um, polling ourselves. There was a poll run um, at the very beginning of the race that actually showed a more liberal female beating Chris Coons, um, even when shown arguments in favor and against. So that's, you know, obviously a, a good indicator that the constituents and the voter base in Delaware is more progressive than our representation is looking for someone who is going to fight for the things that are actually going to make their lives better. And I think we've seen that in the conversations that we're having with voters as well. And I feel really good about where we are and the momentum that we're building and the fact that this is truly the most winnable seat in the Senate for progressives. We are talking about a state that is majority democratic and we're talking about a state who agrees with the policies that we're running on. And that's why I really believe this is an important race for people to invest in and be a part of and volunteer, especially now, because we've seen a few of these races where, you know, like kind of look at Charles Booker, where right. if he had another week, I think he would have won that race. And we I don't want us to feel that way about ours. You know, we need people now because this is when we are building momentum. Right. Um, Charles Booker, he surged, um, uh, like you said, and mm -hmm. McGrath had to outraise him. $40 million yeah. to $700,000. Right. Um, right. And then also another example is Joe Kennedy versus um, Ed Markey. Right now, the beginning polls showed Kennedy double-digit lead. Now it's just a two-point lead. So, you know, mm -hmm. there's the progressive policies. Polls show progressive policies are in favor. So it's going to be shown election day. Yeah. Um, right. People just need to know they have that option. And I think that's that's the most important important thing is knowing understanding what the option is and understanding that there is someone who's going to fight for them. And because these are all issues that if you put legalizing marijuana, raising the minimum wage, all if you put these things on a ballot and had the voters vote for themselves, they would absolutely pass. Instead, we need to fight like right now, fight for representatives that are also going to fight for them at a federal level. 
Right. Um, so I wanted to ask, what's your thoughts on the current leadership within both major political parties? Um, is mm-hmm. it contributive or to a healthy democracy or damaging? What would you do differently than democratic leaders and lawmakers? Yeah, I mean, I think we look at the Senate right now and we see a chamber of our government that can be completely ground to a halt by an individual. And that individual is Mitch McConnell, who's obviously refusing to really bring any bills before the Senate, Um, just allowing, trying to just run out the clock, it seems, on on this session and, and bringing forward only judges and, and very little legislation, particularly in a time where her country is in crisis and we could have responded effectively. We could have guaranteed people income through this crisis. We could have extended Medicare to every single person so no one would run the risk of going into debt or completely bankrupt because they got COVID-19. So the fact that we have a person in leadership that is completely blocking anything other than really court appointments is clearly a, a point of failure. And I think what we have to really look at on the Democratic side is fighting for leadership that and, and supporting leadership based on the policies that they're agreeing to fight for. And that would really be the decision maker for me is is the the majority or minority leader, hopefully majority leader, that we, that we win back enough seats. But what policies are they saying we're going to fight for? And that will be what determines my support for that leader. Right. Um, I had another interview with another U.S. Senate candidate in Wyoming, Una Ludwig. She put it. Mm. She put it nicely. Um, she said that the Democratic leaders have to stop going into the chamber on the mindset that they have to reach a middle ground. Because then they just mm-hmm. cut off even trying to propose their side. They just consider, you know, what would Mitch McConnell pass? We should put that in there for right. him. Uh, so, yeah. you know, I agree with you, definitely. And hopefully... We- well, and that's so harmful. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say that's so harmful because, I mean, I'm also running against someone who uses the word bipartisan compromise right. in virtually every sentence. <laughs> like, it's something that he really values. And... The problem with that is that bipartisan is not inherently good. And this is a this is a an idea that we have to break and and make sure that it just kind of gets out of our consciousness because it was bipartisan when we voted to raise the military budget by 20 billion dollars this year. You know, these are bipartisan decisions. That does not make them good decisions. What we need to value instead are the actual outcomes and the effects of the legislation that we are putting into effect. So I don't want you clapping yourselves on the back and championing the fact that you came to an agreement. That's not enough, particularly when that agreement and that compromise is made on the backs of the most vulnerable people in our country, which is what happens over and over, because those are the people who don't have lobbyists and powerful organizations backing them up. When you are legislating with the, your your mind on who's in the room, whether, whether that's the Republican Party or your corporate donors or lobbied interests, you are forgetting about the people who actually put you in that seat. And that is who you need to stay connected to. And that is who you need to always have at the center of your mind when you are legislating. And yes, I completely agree that we cannot go into things from a point of what do we think will pass? Because 
it always gets negotiated down from there. And it always creates this watered down, technocratic, ineffective policy that no one feels good about. And that is what has contributed to everyone feeling like our government is ineffective because no one is actually championing policy that will m improve the conditions of people's lives. And they're doing a really bad job of communicating how things even got to where they are. <laughs> I'd much rather see them fight to the death for, for something that's actually for the people and then explain what broke down and what happened and how we got where we were. But no one ever does that. And so what happens is you get people just saying like, oh, they're all bad. They're all corrupt. No one's actually doing any good work. And I think that is a real harm that has led to a ton of people dropping out and becoming disaffected and disillusioned. And in some ways, you know, that makes it their job easier. If no one's calling them and complaining or, or banging on their doors demanding things, then it's a lot easier to, to continue legislating in favor of corporations. Um, definitely agree there. So what would your next step be should you win the primary in general and then next steps if you don't? Oh, interesting. Well, <laughs> I think, you know, winning, I mean, one thing that's really important to me is thinking about like, who's the team that we build when we win? Um, that being people who are from my state and who are from the communities who most need to be representative re represented is incredibly important to me. So building a staff that looks like our state and who has the experiences of people from Delaware is incredibly important to me. And I think that would be, you know, first, first step after winning, um, who, who's our, what's our team going to look like and, and how do we build a team that looks like our state? Right. Um, in the odd chance that we don't win. Hopefully that doesn't <laughs> come right. reality. You know, I, yeah, I really think that I will, I mean, I know I will be committed to continue to fight for these things. I know that I'm not going anywhere. And I think that there will be options of how to do that. I think that continuing to build on the organizing skill and infrastructure that this campaign and a couple campaigns before it have helped build is absolutely something I want to do because in the state of Delaware, that doesn't really exist. It's been a couple campaigns that have pushed for these more progressive policies. And I'm the beneficiary of that, of having people who've been through it a couple times, but we've really worked to expand that. And we've seen how when you run on a platform like this, it engages people. We've had people switch their party from Republican or independent to vote for us. Like we have had pe people raise their hand to volunteer to organize for the first time in their lives. People young and old. I mean, this is a multi-generational campaign, a, a diverse campaign. We have people, you know, that are in high school and people who are in their 80s volunteering from up and down the state, all different types of communities. So I have seen the power of this platform to motivate people. And I, I will absolutely continue doing that work in some form. Uh, I wanted to ask now, what are important dates for your election? Like when is the actual primary date? When does early voting yeah. start? Yeah, so our primary date is September 15th. We don't not, we don't have early voting in Delaware, but we did just pass, our, our General Assembly did just pass vote by mail. So this will be the first election that we have vote, vote by mail, which is going to be an interesting wrinkle, I think. Right. Um, so 
we believe those ballots will be able to to, will start going out in in mid-august or so so we're really seeing it as as on us to do a lot of education around that for people to make sure that they know how to request that ballot they know how to fill it out they know how to send it in you know the last thing we want is ballots getting invalidated because of you know flaps not being secured properly or signatures not being in the right place all of those things that happen with absentee ballots um so we're really going to be committed to ensuring that people know how to interact with that system for the first time um so i think we're going to have you know probably a couple weeks to two to four weeks of of um, ballots being out for people to return them and then the day they will be due is that september 15th date um if anybody wants to get involved in these last two months. Like I said, you know, we are actively phone banking right now. We're, we're still waiting on canvassing just to see what happens with um, COVID-19 cases, but we, you can phone bank from literally anywhere in the world that you have an internet connection. Um, and you can sign up to do that at justfordelaware.com slash volunteer. I, I'm going to ask this next, next question for me personally. Um, sure. I prefer it. Do you, does your campaign, does your team um, have a text banking system? We do. Um, we have a smaller demand for texters because right now we're doing sort of more targeted campaigns with texting. But if that's something you're interested in, you could definitely do that in addition to phone banking. All right. Perfect. Um, thank you. So <laughs> thank you very much just for taking the time to come on to the show. I greatly Absolutely. appreciate it. Um, for the people listening, be sure to check out her website, www.justfordelaware.com. Donate, support, follow her on Twitter at Jesper Delaware. Um, I'll spell it out in this episode's bio. Also, follow me on Twitter at It's Ten Beer C. Subscribe um, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Share it, greatly appreciated. Thank you very much again. Um, it was great talking to you. I wish you the best of luck on your race. Um, let's, you know, let's win this. <laughs> um, yeah, let's go get this. Thing. Yeah. Like, <laughs> And, and, and it, it is, it, it takes people, it takes all of us, you know, like we all have to bo- build this movement together. So it's been awesome to see how many people have come from other campaigns and joined ours. And I hope that we can you know, continue to support each other and win as many seats as possible. Right. So thanks so much uh, for the time. I, another thing, you know, in 2016, well, 2015, when Bernie first ran, it was those progressive policies that were so scarce in congress and then nationwide and now we have justice democrats progressive democrats winning primaries unseating long-term incumbents and it's an amazing movement and it continues to grow Mm -hmm. so we're glad to have fighters like you giving us the choice um so thank you again jess i wish you and everyone else a safe and enjoyable week all right thanks so much take care